you're listening to Church of Hope's podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope today's teaching encourages and inspires you. Check out hopeinocala.com for more resources on this journey called life. Here's today's teaching. I am so glad Heather didn't stay down on the track, but she finished that race. And not only did she finish, she won that race. She's a professional professional racer even to this very, very day. So good, right? Hey, would you like to have a little bit of help when you fall down? on the track of life, I got a gift for you. Right now, all across the auditorium, I'm, I'm, I'm handing out a gift that's gonna help you when you fall down on life. I'm about to make you a millionaire. I'm giving you a penny. You, you know, right, the only way to ever become a millionaire is you gotta start with what? One penny. You cannot become a millionaire if you don't first have one shiny penny. So everybody's got a penny. Kind of hold on to that penny. I'll, I'll come back to that uh, in, uh, in just, just a moment or, or two. Um, you know, we all have challenges. You heard Gene's story this morning and, and the challenge of cancer. Uh, some of you this past week, right, you, you, you had a funeral service for mom, and that's, that's challenging. Uh, some of you are, are challenged in the economy with the virus. You've known somebody who was Maybe perhaps be here on a Sunday, but now they're not going to be here on a Sunday, right? So we, we all face challenge. Every single week kind of has its own ebbs and flows, right? Some things that are challenging to me, maybe not so much to you, right? Um, like I realize not everybody looks forward to getting up on, on Saturday and going for a 10 or 12 mile run all across our city, right? But you got to understand, for me, man, I, it's just like, it just releases all the happy endorphins. Now you know why I'm crazy, right? And I'm just running over this, all around the city. But this week, I, I pulled my hamstring. And uh, so, like, I can walk, and, and I can chew gum, but I can't run and chew gum without my hamstring yelling, yelling at me, right? Uh, then, uh, another day this week, I, I was going to pay, right, for, for my bill, and I gave them my credit card. They ran my credit card, and they kind of give you that funny look like, you know, you're trying to cheat them out of something, and they ran it again, and it said my card was declined. A little bit of pride inside of you bowls up. Like, what do you mean my card's declined, right? right? Run it again. They ran it again. We're sorry, Mr. Cummins. So, of course, you got to reach in, get, use the other card if you have another card. And, um, and then I'm going to call. I'm calling somebody at that bank. That 800 number, going to find out. And so I called them, and, and they said, so, Mr. Cummins, you're in Ocala, Florida? Well, of course I am. Well, they said, that's interesting because your card is on a spending spree in Germany. And, all right, it's, it's been one of those, it's been one of those kind of weeks. And then I get a phone call from Linda on Monday, and she's, and she's like really somber. Like, it's like she's scared. Like, is, is everything okay? And she says this, we received a letter from the IRS. And she says, they say we owe a lot of money. And it kind of made sense, right? Because I've been waiting for, you know, I see on the news that there's this stimulus check. And I keep waiting for my stimulus check to come stimuli me, but it hasn't come. And there's this little website you can go to, find my stimulus, right? And so I would go in there and put my, it's like they don't know. So I know now why they haven't sent me my stimulus check, because they say I owe them a whole lot of money. And then I don't know if you ever received one of those letters. You start reading it down, and they're basically saying, it's final, you owe us this. Now, you can refute this, but understand if you do it, we might just have to audit everything. 
And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be on the radar screen. Like, I've, I've been the guy my entire life. I've done my own taxes, right? And I just wanted to stay off of there. I'm just saying some weeks are a little bit challenging. And you don't necessarily finish strong. You don't want to finish strong. You fall down. It's in a marriage or you've been trying to push against, you know, an addiction. And then you get tripped up. And you're just like, ah, I just, how do you? How do we finish strong? We all start, right? We start off in the marriage. We start off, okay, I'm, I'm going to get up in the morning, read my Bible, I'm going to talk to God, and, and, and I want to make God the center and the point for my life. How do we finish strong? Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Judges chapter 16. It's a real interesting book. It's in the Old Testament, Joshua, Judges. In this particular time in history, there's no leader of the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, if you go to the very end of the book, Judges, in the very last verse, it says, tell me, does this sound familiar? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The society, the culture, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And so God would raise up these judges uh, to, to help lead the people. And there were these people called the Philistines, and they were always attacking the Israelites. And, and, and there was no leadership, and they were vulnerable, so God would raise up. Well, one particular judge, his name is Samson. Now, you might know that name. Maybe it's a brand new name to you. A lot of people think about Samson as kind of like the Bible's superhero because he did, you know, these, these feats of strength, and he had long hair and, the, and all. I, I think this morning we're going to find out maybe there's a whole lot more going on in this story of Samson than we've ever, ever known. But it starts like this. In Judges 13, there's a promise to a mom and dad, just like mom and dad's today. You will become pregnant, God says to this woman, and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Samson had a purpose. God designs us and creates all of us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You have a purpose. Samson has a purpose. He's going to stand against the evil Philistines and protect all of the Israelites. Look at verse 24. So the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. Things are going good. In Judges 15, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And God gave him this extraordinary strength. He fought off and beat off a lion. When the Philistines did some bad things, he, he took 300 foxes. Now, if you've ever been hunting and tried to catch one fox, that's hard enough. 300 foxes tied their tails together lit them on fire, and set them loose out in, in their orchards to push against their economic strength as a nation against the Philistines. God used him in this extraordinary way. But then we get to chapter 16, and you begin to see decision makings by Samson that leads him in the opposite direction of God. And it's really hard to finish strong. To those of us who are Christ followers, when we begin to walk in the opposite direction of God, we begin to make decisions that lead us away from God, and then we trip and we fall, we can begin to think, God's mad at me. God caused me to fall. God's angry at me. And as the song we just sang earlier is, God's not against us. God's for us. And we see that in this story. You got your Bible? Look at 
Judges 16, in your Bible or on the big Bible on the screen. Verse 1, one day Samson went to Gaza. Watch this first directional decision where he saw a prostitute. He went in and spent the night with her. He's headed in the wrong direction. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded that place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. You know, how it's hard enough just to walk up a regular hill, right? He takes, and it's hard for us to understand this, but in those days, the city gate was what protected the city. So if you thought about Ocala, just think about all the infrastructure in our downtown area. And a man being strong enough to lift up all of that infrastructure, put it on his shoulders, and then walk up a hill. He, he was marked by this extraordinary, extraordinary strength. Now notice what happens in verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Now the story might be becoming familiar. Samson and Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. This makes sense, right? Because the Philistines, for 20 years, God's been using Samson to push back the Philistines. When they would try and, and, and destroy Israel, God used Samson to push back, much like the Bible says today, as Christ followers, we are light and we are salt. We are pushing back the darkness, like the song that we sang earlier, right? All the change that we want to see happen in our culture, it's got to start right here inside of me and start inside of me now. And so their idea is, listen, just tell us, our, tell us his strength so we can push up against him, subdue him, control him, and now as the Philistines, we'll be able to take over God's people. Look what it says in verse 6. So Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, first of all, can we just stop for a second? If you dating somebody, <laughs> who says, <laughs> hey, tell me, uh, do, do, what's your secret strength so I can take advantage of you? Tell, tell me, where are your credit cards? <laughs> tell, tell me, right? I mean, it, he's headed in the wrong direction, right? But how many of us know, right? When we take our eyes off God, we start making decisions. It doesn't seem like it's a big deal at the moment, but we start walking in the wrong direction. So Samson answered her, Girlfriend, you crazy. I ain't telling you nothing. It's not what he said, is it? It's like going back to the story of the Garden of Eden, right? Remember when Satan comes to Eve and says, Hey, Eve, got a question for you. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from that tree? Well, she said, yeah, he said we're not supposed to. Ah, Eve, poor naive Eve. You've been living in a Christian home. You've been sheltered. You've been going to 1440 student ministries all too long. Listen, you got to understand, God knows as, as soon as you eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll become like him, and you'll, you'll know lots of stuff. 
Imagine how the whole world would have been different if Eve said, dude, shut the front door. You're wrong. What are you talking about? You don't know my God. My God said, don't be eating from that. I'm choosing to obey God. Ain't that right, Adam? Baby doll, that's right. Honey, we, we are God's children, and we ain't listening to no dumb devil at all. The whole story's different, right? She didn't push back. And boy, the whole world. Ashley talked about the craziness that's in the world. It all started. I, imagine if Samson imagine all the way back to verse 1 if Samson says you know what sleeping with a prostitute probably isn't God's priority for me but he starts walking in that direction and initially right you're convinced you can control it you won't be controlled by it you can, furl, you can flirt a little bit at work it's not going to be that big of a deal because you, you would never cross over the line Oh, look what he says. If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him. Now, can we just pause one more time? It's, it's bad enough when your girlfriend or your wife or fiancé ask you, hey, listen, like, What's the number to the safe? Just in case I ever need it someday. You give her the number and you watch her go to the safe and take out all your money. You, you, you tell her the secret of your strength and you watch her tie you up and then you're going to go to sleep on her. He is headed in the wrong direction. Notice what she says. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah says to Samson, You have made me a fool. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. Here's the principle. I think, I think Samson had really good intentions. I don't think Samson intended to walk away from God. I think Samson understood that he was born and God had put a call on his life that he was a Nazarite and that he was to stand against the evil Philistines. But there's, the, there's this temptation, right, that somehow we can have good intentions and those good intentions won't deceive us. Did you ever hear grandma say something like this? The road to hell are paved by good intentions. Most addictions, someone had a good, no one wakes up and says, I want to I wanna be controlled by this. I want my marriage to get crushed. I heard this some years back, quote from Andy Stanley. It goes something like this. It's direction, not intention, that determines your destination. It's direction, not intention, that determines your destination. It's the direction that you're headed in. Samson has been walking in a direction that is in the opposite of God. 
He has all the good intentions, no doubt. I'm sure he's thinking to himself, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I won't tell her the real thing. I'll tell her here with these, these, you know, these bow tie things. I won't tell her about my hair. I won't tell her about my mom, my dad, you know, Jehovah God and all this. It is, it is direction. What direction are you headed in? What direction is your marriage headed in? What direction in raising your children. We, we think that we can have I, I have, I have good intentions. I want my sons and I want my daughters. I want them to grow up and I want them to make Jesus the center and the point for their life. I, I, w- I want to have a great marriage, right? But, but, but then, like, Jesus is a conversation maybe on Sundays, but not Monday through Saturday. It's direction. I, I want God to be in control of my finances. I want God to be in control of my marriage. I want God to be in control of my, my health. See, here's what we got to understand this morning is you're living in a world, this, this world has an ecosystem that often pushes against your desire of wanting to make God the center and the point for your life. That was true in the Garden of Eden. It was true in Samson's. It's true in your life. It's not that you don't love God. You, you, you love God. I want God to be important. I want him to be the center and the point of my life. But there always seems to be this push against your desire to make God first and best in your life. Good news, the Bible speaks to it. 1 John 2 and 16. For everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. There is a constant pull. Samson is under this pull, pulling him away from God's purpose in his life. There's a pull when you go on that business trip to pull you away. There, there's a pull with all the options and choices that you've got to watch on TV to pull you away from, from God. The question is, how do you push back? And when you do trip up, how do you get back up and finish strong? Th- those, those three things we see those three statements, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, they're all in the story of, of Samson, and they're in our story. The lust of the, lust of the eyes, it's dissatisfaction. It, it's when you no longer see what you have, but you see what you don't have. Oh, look, look, look what their marriage is, and look what their finances are, and, and, and look, look at that. And we're always, when we become dissatisfied, we begin to think in our minds, this isn't right, it's not we begin to have a desire that I, if, if, if I had 2,200 square feet compared to 1,500 square feet, our marriage would be better. If, if I had a marriage, if I didn't have a marriage, if I had, and so what happens is it's, it's this eye gate. You see it. You see it, so it prompts a thought, and it creates desire that you want it, and then that's what the Bible says about the lust of the flesh. So now I begin thinking, okay, this is, this is my identity. I deserve this. I'm feeling a certain way. Samson, I, I, I want that kind of woman. I want that kind of lifestyle. I want this kind of power. And so now his thoughts begin to create this desire, lust of the eyes. You're just seeing it. That's why, listen, listen, it's so important. You start looking at it, and right now you haven't done anything. You haven't, you haven't said anything, you haven't acted in any way, but you're just kind of looking at it and you're letting it come in. That's where you fight. You fight right there because you think I can bring in that desire. I can bring in that, that, that sense of 
I deserve that and it won't change my actions. I can control it. The way you control it is right there. Samson didn't and we often don't. And so what happens now, it grows to the lust of the flesh. My body wants this. My mind says I deserve that and we get deceived and then it brings us to the pride of life. We just think we're invincible. We, we, we think, listen, I, I know somebody else can flirt and, and I know they flirted and then they violated their marriage vows, but I would never do that. I, I, I know somebody else that, that okay, and you, you said that would never happen to me. I would never do anything like that. I, I am telling you, when it comes to my taxes, I mean, I started working when I was in middle school uh, and I, I've done my taxes every single it wasn't that difficult in middle school, but I did my taxes in middle school and high school. When I joined the Marines, I've done my own taxes. Like, and some of it, I, I think, was a prideful thing. Like, listen, I don't want anybody knowing what I'm doing, my money, right? There's some things you don't talk about, and you don't talk about your finances, right? And if you go to an accountant, they're going to know what you make, and they're going to tell everybody in the world, right? And, and, and I was the guy, right, that even like, you know how when you do your taxes, they give you an envelope, and you put your, your return in the envelope, and you send it back to them? I would never use their envelope because it's secretly coded. And I wouldn't address it in black ink because the government does crazy things with black ink. I would use the blue ink, right? I never wanted to be on anybody's radar screen, right? I'm going to do my own taxes all the way to this past year, 2019. I wonder where my stimulus check is. And I got that letter, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And, and, and we have a man in the church, Doug Day, and he's an accountant. And someone said, just call Doug Day. He'll help you out. Oh, that pride of life thing. I don't want to call Doug Day. I don't want him to see inside my britches. I mean, come on. I don't want no one to know about my life. Right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? That pride of life. Here's what the Bible says. The pride brings a person low. That's what it does. There's so much we could talk about. And this, this word pride, it's, it's, it's a nuanced word. It's really hard for us, right? Because it's got positive and negatives. It's so tricky. Um, a, a parent who says, I'm proud of you, son. Is that a positive or a negative thing? It's positive, right? But then a pastor stands up and says, right? The pride of life, you're not supposed to be prideful, right? And it's the nuance. How do we hold these two truths that I want to have, you know, proud to be an American or at least I know now you know why I don't sing right I, I mean you want to have pride in some things but then wait a second the Bible also says that it's pride that will bring a person low we're going to do a series about that a little bit later this year but what happens to Samson is this this progression of the lust of the eyes when you see it and then the lust of the flesh you desire it in the pride of life, it'll never happen to me. This, this, this procession of, of desire and deception and then disobedience, it ultimately leads to destruction. And you think you can, you think you can resist the temptation. You think that I can push up against it. And I, I promise I won't go too far. And so Delilah comes a second time and says, come on, big boy, tell me. And he tells her another lie. She comes back and says, I can't believe it. You said that you love me and you told me another lie and you really don't love me. She puts the pressure on this old boy and he finally disobeys God. He finally tells her, hey, listen, I'm a Nazarite. 
I've been set apart for God's purposes to push against the evil of the day, these Nazarites. The very ones who she's partnered with to come and destroy and subdue him. And he says, if you cut my hair, if you cut my hair, remember I told you it's direction, it's not intention that determines your destiny. So he finally tells her, if you cut my hair, I lose my power. So sure enough, right, the old boy goes to sleep and she starts cutting his hair. Now, I don't know about you all, but I get a haircut about every two, three weeks or so. I've never slept through one of Dom's haircuts. Never once, right? I don't know how you sleep when someone's cutting your hair, but I'm here to tell you there is a principle. When you're headed in the wrong direction away from God, don't be surprised by the cray-cray that you'll do. I just helped a whole bunch of people out. Because you're convinced, listen, I, I, I know that God wants this, and I know that God has says this, but it's okay. I can drift just a little bit down. I can get just a little bit closer to the edge, and I'll never fall off. And so sure enough, she shaved his head. She called the Philistines in, and they captured him. And listen to what the Bible says. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Notice what happens this time. They seized him. They gouged out his eyes. And they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. He did what he said he would never do. And did you notice the progression? The lust of the eyes. What did they gouge out? This is not an accident. God's teaching us something this morning. They, they, they took him, they, his lust of the flesh, which is his identity. He now is no longer a free man. He's bound with these shackles. No longer is he fulfilling the purpose that God designed him for. He's walking around and he's grinding this grain. The pride of life, the one who thought he was invincible is no longer living out the purpose that God had for his life. Can you just imagine how many times he would have thought to himself, only if, only if. I wonder how many of us are here this morning and you're like, only if I wouldn't have. Only if I would have. I, I can't believe I'm where I'm at today. If I would have just trusted God, and maybe things wouldn't have turned out. Or would, only, only if. Here, nobody can go back, but I want everybody to know this morning, God's not mad at you. God's not angry. In two weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. The whole reason Jesus came is because he knew that you can't save yourself. He knew that we all sin. So he put in a plan so that every man and every woman, when we fall down, we don't have to stay down. That's why when he finished, he said, it is finished. What is finished? The attack of sin on you. It has forever been finished. It's got no authority on your life as long as we choose to get back up and to trust him. That's exactly what we find in this story. Samson, at some point, refused to quit. He believed that God wanted to do something great. And so here he is. He's brought into this big chamber. He's been ridiculed. He's been laughed. But somewhere deep down inside, Samson said, I'm not going to quit. I know I, I know I went against God. I know I went against my parents. I went against all my dreams. My eyes are gone. I, I'm, I'm, I'm shackled. But maybe, I believe maybe God will just use me one more time. 
And so he's inside this big meeting hall, and you have all the Philistines there. I mean, you've got the political leaders, the financial leaders, the military leaders, the infrastructure of the Philistines who've been attacking against the Israelites. And he begins to sense inside of them, I'm not going to quit. God's not done with me. I don't care what a doctor might say. I don't care what a pregnant, I don't, I just, and so he asked this one person, hey, listen, can you just help me put my hands to kind of put up against the, 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 these pillars? Maybe you, this is the part of the story that you know. But something, something miraculous is about to happen. But before we get there, how, how do you, how do you trust that God's not done with you? How do you get from where you are back with God. I think there's a couple, th- couple things, short, just a couple things. N- n- number one is this, is, is in prayer, you got to focus on God again. That's what Samson did here. Go back to your Bible. Look what it says. <laughs> I mean, this is incredible good news. Samson, in verse 28, prayed to the Lord. He's not been talking to God for weeks and months, maybe years. He's chasing after prostitutes. He's lying and cheating and stealing. But on this day, he decides, I'm going to pivot. I am going to have a conversation. Let me tell you, there are a lot of things in the world that you cannot control. But there are two things that you can control every single day. You can wake up and say, today, I choose to worship God. I choose in my life to declare the worth of God, that God is in control. He is worthy. I will live my life today in such a way that I declare the worth of God. Nobody can take that away from you. I don't care what happens in Washington, D.C. I don't care what happens in a pandemic. Nobody can stop you from worshiping God except for you. The second is you can have a conversation with God every single day. You can have a conversation with God every minute of every day. This is how we get connected back. Look what it says in Hebrews 4 and 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God's not mad at you. God's not mad at Samson. Your spouse might be mad at you. Your boss might be mad at you. Your employees might be mad at you. Your neighbor might be mad at you. Your dog can be mad at you. But the Bible says in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God did not leave Samson. Samson left God, but God did not leave Samson. That's why Jesus says in the end, Matthew 28, listen everybody, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. You get to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the chapter known as the Hall of Faith. These stories of men and women who trusted God to do the impossible through their lives. These rock star Christians. And then in verse 32, you find Samson's name there. The one who was with a prostitute. The one who violated his vows to God. Following Jesus has never been about what you do. It's been about what Jesus does for you. Listen, you can't control what happens to you, but all of us can be in control what happens in us. So we got to restart that relationship. Samson went back and he put those hands on those pillars and he said, God, 
Lord, would you use me one more time? Look what it says. It says, please, God, strengthen me. And you might be thinking, okay, what's happening? He's just asking God to, to strengthen him, right? Maybe you know the rest of the story, that he's going to push against these pillars, and the building's going to come tumbling down. But I think we've missed what's really going on. Not only does Samson reignite in prayer his relationship with God, watch this. When you're asking God to strengthen you, what, you're really, what we are really doing is in repentance, I am resetting my identity. God, it's not through my might. It's through your strength. God, it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's not about my skill sets. God, I've gone in the wrong direction. I agree. I was wrong and you're right. I'm resetting my identity. That's what repentance does. Repentance says, listen, I was going in this direction because I wanted to satisfy me. But I realized I'm headed in the wrong direction. So we pivot and we reset our identity in him. Notice what the Bible says in James 1 and 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. See in this progression? Should be looking familiar now. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. We've got an aversion of personal responsibility. Everybody's convinced I can have a stinking rotten attitude. I can gossip. I can be mean. I can be snarky. I can act in a certain way because of what they did. Who's the president? My neighbor this. What the Bible tells us is all those little thoughts begin to take root. Those thoughts become a desire. Samson's, Samson's thoughts became a desire. That desire becomes an action. And now we find himself. We find him. He finds himself at a point where his eyes are gouged out. He's bound in shackles. He's lost his identity, and there certainly is no pride of life. Remember King David? King David is also named in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. King David was watching a woman bathe one day and decided, I want her. I want her. So he sends somebody to get her, and they have sex together. Bathsheba conceives a baby. He tries covering it up. He's not able to cover it up, so he decides, since I can't cover it up, I'll shut it up, and he murders Uriah. And here's the testimony in Psalms 32 and 3. David says, when I kept silent, when I tried to cover up my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Samson's strength was gone. When he walked away from God, it wasn't about the length of his hair. It was about the proximity to the power of God. When you walk away from God, you lose the proximity of God's power in your life. Then I acknowledged, verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
The half-brother of Jesus says it this way, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Maybe the reason you're so tired is because you're trying to maintain two lifestyles. You're trying to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, yeah, but then you live in opposition to God. It's got your eyes getting gouged out metaphorically. It's got you bound up in shackles rather than walking around in freedom. And so Samson, Samson's got his hands up against. He's reignited his relationship with God in prayer. In, in repentance, he has reset his strength. God, you give, me, you give me the strength. It's not about what I can do. God, I'm wrong. I walked away from you. God, would you do one more time something, something great in my life? And then your Bible tells us that he pushes against those pillars, which were supporting that structure. The building falls down, and the Philistines, the purpose by which Samson was designed, the Bible says it was greater in his death than it was in his life. And so here's the principle. By faith, or in faith, be bold with your life. That's a pretty bold thing. Because by the way, when the building structure came down and killed all of the Philistines, Samson died too. But the Bible says that God, God was glorified. Now God's not asking us to go walk out in front of a truck. God's not asking us to, to kind of just die. That's not what he's asking. But let me tell you something. There, there are some things that you could do or say in this life that might feel like dying. That, that would really stretch your sense of being comfortable. Hey, a few minutes ago, I gave you a penny. Do you remember that? Now, this penny wasn't intended for you to give it to, back to me so I can go pay off my IRS bill. <laughs> it's not going to help. <laughs> okay. But I want you to get that penny. Those who are at home, I hope you got a penny close. There's a story from 1968. America is entrenched in the Vietnam War. And it's really risen to a, to a height of, of, of casually known as the Tet Offensive. There's a medical group of doctors and surgeons and nurses. And as they would bring the men and the women kind of, you know, off the field uh, of, of battle, they would come in to this surgical, surgical department. And um, they're doctors, nurses, and, and um, you know, they would look, they would assess the different wounds. And to those who, you know, didn't have a, a real serious wound, they were put to the side because they didn't need immediate care. But there were some, right, who, who you could tell their wounds were really, really serious. And so this one particular nurse, her name was Penny, she worked in the triage department, and she had to make that very difficult decision of, okay, we got to get this one. His wounds are very severe, but we got to get him to surgery. We think he's got a chance. This one, not so much. Think about the pressure. Perhaps maybe seeing a movie or hearing your grandfather speak, tell you about when you're in that when you're in that place, all anybody really wants to know is, is am I going to make it? And Nurse Penny would hear this over and over from these soldiers, and she didn't know, but she wanted to offer some hope. Because don't you know that when you fall down and you want to finish strong, what you really need is a little bit of hope. And so she would, uh, you know, talk to the soldiers and try to console them and encourage them. But then she would take a shiny penny and place it in their hand. 
and say, hey, I'm Nurse Penny, and I'm going to give you one of my pennies. You're going to be okay. You're going to get better. And when you get better, I want you to come back and give me my penny back. Kind of give the soldiers a little bit of hope that they're going to make it. Most of them didn't. Almost 30 years later, in 1998, Penny tells a story about her receiving a phone call. On the other end of the phone, it was a man who said, Hello, um, by any chance, did you serve with the United States Army in 1968 in Vietnam? Penny said, Yes. By any chance, were you at the Army hospital where they were treating the men from the Tet Offensive? Yes. Is your name Penny? She said, yes. He said, I'd like to come and see you. I've got your penny to give back, and I'd like to introduce you to my wife and my two daughters. Now I realize this isn't the Tet Offensive, but I'll tell you something out in this world. Don't be fooled for a moment. There's a war going on. And it's the war for, for souls. And one day, men and women, all of us, are going to take our last breath. And there is no do-over. There is no grading on a curve. At that moment, it would be whether or not a person believed in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we're going to celebrate two weeks from today at 7.30, 9 o'clock, and at 10.30. And what I'd like to challenge us to do this week is this is to go find, go create your own triage unit. Who's somebody that you know doesn't know Jesus as their Savior? Let me just pause for just a second. If you don't have any friends who don't know Jesus, you need to get some friends. Whoever told you that your whole life is supposed to be wrapped up around other Christians have lied and they don't know God and they don't know their Bible. One of the great tragedies in the country in which we live is the church all came up inside the steeple and we isolated ourselves from all the people and the cray cray that you see in Washington DC and down every street in Portland or wherever else where you want to see and the way people identify and all the other kind of crazy stuff that happened in the world it's our fault because we thought it's about us having our safe zone and our comfort zone and we stopped being the light and we stopped being the salt it's time in 21 to be the light and salt. I want to, listen, I want you to go find somebody in the next two weeks and I want you, tell them the story about Penny. And listen, I, I, I don't know how many people will be open to an Easter invitation. I know we're doing all the appropriate things. You can see how we've staggered things. We understand all the different people look at the pandemic and the, all the things different. We're, listen, we're, we continue to be careful and faithful one year later. You give, they might laugh at you. They might ignore you. But what if the one person you invited becomes the 30-year later phone call that happens in heaven one day? 
I don't know exactly how it's going to unfold, but there's Jesus on his throne, and there's the people who were believers, and there's the people who were unbelievers. And people who didn't believe, the Bible is very clear, they are forever separated from God in a real place called the lake of fire for all of eternity, where death and hell and Satan are all. But imagine you're standing there. I'm I'm just trying to make a point, Jason. Imagine you're standing there, and you catch the the eye of your penny and they catch your eye and then you can even hear him say thank you so much for inviting me to Easter 21 oh what a joy that will be I told you it was going to take courage some of you would rather push against two pillars and let the whole house come down then go talk to somebody or go invite somebody. But I'm just telling you, if you believe that the world is a lot like a triage unit and people need some hope, they need some hope that in this world, Jesus Christ is the solution, is the answer, I so encourage you, go outside of your comfort zone, take a little idea, tell people the story. I've yet to find somebody. I've yet to find somebody. Who isn't looking for a little bit of hope? I'm not talking about people who go to Meadowbrook. They need to stay at Meadowbrook. And the people who are over at Church of the Springs, stay at Church of the Springs. And City Light or or Central Christian. I'm talking about somebody who has no hope. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're watching online and you've got no hope. You can have hope today in Jesus. You can begin a relationship right now. Not if, you can, but you've got to decide. Every relationship with Jesus starts the same way. By asking God to forgive you. Would you? Right now, in your own voice. God, forgive me. I have sinned against you. And I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross. And three days later became alive again. And today, I trust him as my Savior. To those of you who have just begun that relationship, welcome to God's family. And to the rest of us, how would you not... How, how could we not get excited about one of our friends who right now we do not know that they have hope of heaven that they might come on Easter Sunday and hear the story of Jesus and that become their day Father in heaven I love you I thank you for this old story of Samson the way it's challenged us afresh this morning I'm glad that you're not against us that you are for us I want to ask, God, that you would reignite our relationship with you. Some of us have fallen down, and we've stayed down. If that's you right now, would you reignite your relationship with God in prayer? Just talk to him. Ask him to forgive you. He knows where you are. He's not left you. He's right here. That direction you've been walking in, away from God, just own up. Repent. Ask God to forgive you right where you are. Now would you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to step out this week to be His light, to be His salt. God, favor each man and each woman that's here today. May this become an extraordinary week. God, may we be courageous. You're not asking us to put our hands against a pillar to destroy Philistines. You're not asking us to be a nurse in a triage medical unit. 
But you are asking us to walk out into a world and to have friends and neighbors and co-workers, even family, who do not know you personally. Don't let us, Holy Spirit, stay comfortable. Stir us up. Send us out this week to invite families and friends to discover hope in your son, Jesus. Bless each man and each lady as they walk in your favor, as they trust you in your word, as they make you, Jesus, the center, you, Jesus, the point of your life. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray this morning. Amen. Peace.